and um, let's begin. So I'm calling the meeting at 6.33 p.m., and we're going to do roll call. Vice Chair Gabby? Commissioner Jonathan? Here. Commissioner Jenkins? Commissioner Chloe? Commissioner Sri? Here. Commissioner Christian? Here. Commissioner Gildas? Here. Parks and Community Services Director Lynn? Human Services Manager Jen? Here. Human Services Coordinator Annie? Here. Youth Services Coordinator, Coordinator Reggie? Here. And Human Services Coordinator Amanda? Here. Okay. So today we had um, Commissioner Jenkins reading the land acknowledgement. I'm going to put it in the chat and to see if anyone would like to read it today. Okay, I'll do it. I get. I give it. Oh, give uh, it I, I can. Do, I can do it. Okay, it, thank yeah. you, Gilbert. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, let me let me pull it up and increase the text size. One second. Okay, we acknowledge that the Southern Salish Sea region lies on the unceded and ancestral land of the Coast Salish peoples, the Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Puyallup, Stikomish, Snoqualmie, Snohomish. Soquamish and Tulela tribes and other tribes of the Puget Sound Salish people, and that the present-day city of Kirkland is in the traditional heartland of the lake people and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself, the first people who have reserved treaty rights and continue to live here since time immemorial and their ancestral heritage. Excellent job. Got the experience in speaking like a pro. Would anyone else like to read the light acknowledgement for the November meetings? I can do it. Okay, thank you, Jonathan. All right, is there a motion to approve the September 26, 2023 meeting minutes? So moved. Uh, do we have a second? I'll second. I'll second. All in favor, please say aye or raise your hand. Uh, aye. 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 All those opposed? Those that abstain? Motion passes unanimously. Reggie, do we have any guests tonight? We do. Um, uh, says. Uh, Diane, and if you're um, wanting to speak, could you raise your hand, please? Your virtual hand. So while uh, Diane's figuring that out, I'll read the the official statement. Um, so uh, the key point for public comment, Diane, if you want to make a comment, is that we are limited to three minutes per resident. Regardless, thank you for joining us tonight.
Yeah, I'm not seeing anything. So, and there is no one. There is no one in person either. Gotcha. Okay, we have a special presentation tonight from Chinese Information Service Center or CISC. I'm going to pass it to, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to pass it to Annie Smith, Human Services Coordinator, to introduce the presenters. Hi, everyone. So um, we are uh, pleased to welcome Olga Nicotina from CISC. Um, she is um, the lead on there. I'm sorry, I'm bringing up my notes as we speak. I was not prepared. One moment, please. And so she um, is part of the Russian Senior Day Program that she just notified me is turning four years old. So this is a program that serves um, older adults um, in providing uh, resources and culturally appropriate um, and relevant programming uh, on the east side. Um, this is a program, like I said, we've not funded in the past. So I thought after our monitoring visit that we just had recently, um, a few months ago, um, and hearing more about that program, I thought it would um, be great to have her here just to talk a little bit more as we are uh, heading into our next um, funding cycle where we'll be reviewing lots of uh, um, applications, and certainly this will be one of them. So I will turn it over to Olga. Um, thank you for being here. And um, if you have any slides, you should be able to just share screen automatically, um, but if not, we'll get you all set up. Thank you, Annie, for the introduction. And I do have some slides. I don't have a lot. Um, nobody likes to look at a lot of slides. So I only have about three slides that you get to enjoy. And um, I'm going to share my screen. I haven't done this in forever, so hopefully it works. Okay, can can everyone see the screen? Yeah, we can see your screen. And then uh, what we're seeing is the main slide, and then it has a, um, a heads up for the next slide, and then we can see your video. Okay. So you might need to flip the presentation versus the presenter view. One second. I have this. But if you can't, it's okay, because we can see the big slide anyway. So not that big of a deal, I think. How do I go back? Ah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I'll just, I just, I just leave it here. So all the pictures that you can see here, they're real pictures of the real people. And uh, this lady in the beautiful red skirt in the middle is our program coordinator. And I'm the Russian speaking senior day program supervisor. And I wear many hats. I also um, do admin hearings for the agency and I um, help with the Russian speaking case management program here in King County for the Russian speaking community. But today I'll speak on the Russian speaking senior day program. So um, our program started in 2020. 
right before COVID hit. And so we only had about two meetings and we had to go into Zoom meetings after that for one year. And it was extremely challenging because nobody could connect. You know, seniors have a lot of problems with technology and they were not able to figure out Wi-Fi and all that. So we provided them with some tablets and we uh, helped out with connecting them to the uh, reduced price internet through Comcast. So uh, they had internet access, they had tablets, and so they were able to join meetings um, virtually. And that was very good. Um, and we did musical concert over Zoom. We did crafts over Zoom. And that really helped to, you know, raise their spirits. And they were not as depressed and isolated at home. We also helped them uh, with scheduling vaccination appointments. And our seniors were one of the first uh, seniors here in King County to be vaccinated. Uh, we are located in North Bellevue Community Center, and you're welcome to visit. Uh, we're Our program runs twice a week, Tuesday and Friday, from 10 o'clock until 2 p.m. And we have participants of different ages, anywhere from 55 to 93. Um, most of them are older, I would say over 80 years old. And... Currently, we have up to 40 people attending each session, which is a huge success because we just started with five people. And sometimes we had three people on Zoom, <laughs> but we didn't give up and we just, uh, we believe that this program will be very useful. Um, the main problem that we experienced when we just started is the transportation. People were not able to get to the meetings. Uh, they we're not able to navigate bus. So we partner up with a sound generations and we have transportation from them that picks up seniors and gets them to the senior day program every day. Every every day that it runs. And out of the 40 people that, uh, that are attending, about 25% are coming from Kirkland, city of Kirkland. So the program goals is, um, of course, the most importantly is to reduce isolation and depression. And it's uh, very hard to make friends when you don't speak English. And a lot of our seniors now are, are refugees from Ukraine. And so it's very important for them to get that support in their native language. And a lot of them are just coming in to get their mind off the news that they're watching on TV and all the information that they're getting from their families and friends from Ukraine. So it's been very helpful for them. And we help them break down barriers and we connect them with necessary resources. So for example, uh, we help them with getting reduced electricity uh, program like from Hopelink we assist them with uh, filling out applications and things like senior farmer market program. We help them to connect with the farmer's market to get the, some of those benefits as well. Um, another 
goal is the better connections with the community. So although seniors live in Kirkland or Bellevue or Redmond or Bothell or, you know, um, King County area, they they have no clue what's happening around them. So we talk about local news. We talk about local events. Um, so we encourage them to attend. And sometimes like a small group of seniors um, connect together and then go and attend some type of um, event that's happening locally. And they feel like they belong. And it's very important because back in their country, they had a lot of connections and they lost of those, all of those connections when they immigrated. So it really helps them mentally. And of course, uh, the last one, last but not least, is to improve their quality of life. So we encourage them to move. We do a lot of exercises like chair yoga. We do dancing. We um, do different social activities. We um, invite nurses who provide education, like lectures about health. Uh, we had a lady who came um, from the King County Elections Office, and she is a Russian-speaking employee there, and she uh, provided very valuable information on how to register to vote and how to, uh, why it's important. And it was it was a gr great resource for them, and uh, seniors are really, really grateful to meet her and uh, receive all of that information from her. We have artists, musicians, writers, poets. We have psychologists. We have social workers who are coming. And all of that um, is free of charge for seniors. And all of these people are volunteers. Whoever come, come in to volunteer, um, you know, they're not being paid. So we're really happy that the community really comes together and um, they're serving these seniors for free. Um, it's very valuable. Another thing that's important to mention is that although the name of the program is Russian Speaking Senior Day Program, uh, a lot of our seniors are not Russians. So they come from Ukraine, they come from Armenia, Moldova, Azerbaijan, you name it. So like 15 different countries of former Soviet Union and they most of them speak more than one language. And it's just wonderful to see them making those friendship connect and share their cultural differences and appreciate each other. And um, we have different types of activities that they do, like um, the Ukrainian events, Russian events, Armenian events, um, different music, different songs in different languages. It's a lot of fun. Um, and what else? Do, do, do. So, yes, here's again our seniors, and I hope to hear some questions from you because there is so much to talk about. But I just gave you a brief overview of what the program looks like. I cannot imagine this program not existing. It it means a lot to the seniors. And one of the ladies recently told me like, Olga, I don't know what to do with myself um, when the program is not running. So like on Tuesday and Friday, I come in and I, you know, I enjoy being there. I feel like I 
have friends and they listen and they appreciate me. And on the days when it's not running, I just don't know what to do. I just get out of the house and I just walk around the neighborhood, you know, because I'm just so lonely. Her husband recently passed away. So this program really uh, means a lot to her. And I really encourage you to stop by and meet our seniors. Uh, some of them speak a little English, so you'll be able to communicate with them. Um, and I'm ready for some questions. Hey, um, everyone, if you could raise your hand for Olga, uh, that'd be great. Uh, Olga, I just have a quick question, though. When would we be able to stop by? Like, when are some times that would work best? And uh... Of course. Uh, yeah, so it's um, every Tuesday and Friday in North Senior, no, it's not Senior more, North Community uh, Center in Bellevue. And uh, anytime you stop by, any day you stop by, there'll be something happening. There'll be somebody performing or they'll share some yummy food with you <laughs> or uh, they'll play some games. And uh, it's just, um, it's very rich. And we're really lucky to have these program coordinators. They're so passionate. So they always come up with some fun things to do. And they love guests. They adore guests. Anybody who stopped by, they just welcome you and give you all the food that you can eat and they try to communicate and yeah awesome do you mind going out of the presenter uh, screen so we can see who has their hand raised uh sri thank you for that presentation olga um i just have one question about what are the um what are the things that you want to do that you are not able to do for, you know, either various reasons, could be funding, could be support services or other stuff, you know, that are, that you see as a need, but you're not able to provide that help? Yes, uh, thank you for your question. So I think uh, the most important thing for us is to uh, be able to reach as many seniors as possible. Uh, because we're right now we're really limited to um, the group of people we can reach. Uh, most of these seniors are coming from the case management program that we run here in CISC. Um, and so I know some seniors don't qualify for the in-home services. And so they just stay home. And I wish we can have more resources to reach out to these seniors. And I'm not sure how to find them exactly. Um, probably like through social media or um, some other ways. I'm sure we can figure it out. But I want those seniors who do not have access to the program, program that we have here now to be able to attend. Also, transportation is a little tricky. It's a little challenging. Uh, so those people who have some mobility problems are not able to come in. Uh, somebody who uses a wheelchair, for example. Uh, and I wish we can um, provide more access to people who have some mobility problems. Also, I I really hope we can um, do more days for the program, not just two days a week or maybe three or four, maybe even every day. Uh, seniors dream about this. They really want to come in as many times as possible. Um, I wish we can just expand and hire more 
program coordinators because we, right now we have two and one lady runs um, program on Tuesdays and one does Fridays. And they're tired. They're exhausted. <laughs> and they I wish they can help have a little help because 40 seniors is is not easy. They want everybody wants your attention. Everybody wants to say something. And sometimes they want to do different things. Like one senior says, Oh, I don't want to do this. You know, I want to sing. And another one wants to do yoga. And so, like, what do you do? And I wish we can have two coordinators so they can split up and, you know, entertain everybody. Um, my list is very long, Sri. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I was just curious, uh, just as a follow-up, in terms of what is the level of, like, do you have a sense where, how big the population is that you're serving, especially on the east side? Just curious. Oh yes, numbers that you have. It's 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 very large senior uh, Russian speaking senior population on the east side. I would, it's safe to say that it's at least over a thousand people that we can reach out to. Yeah. Okay. Uh before I don't know if you any of you remember, but there was this Russian speaking adult day health center in Bellevue, Circle of Friends. Um, they had to close their program really quickly, like just in like two, three days for the reason nobody knows why. And at that time, about 200 people attended every day. Yeah. So that was maybe five, six years ago. Okay. Thank you. Christian, oh, uh, were you going to say something, Olga? Me? Oh, um, no. Christian? Um, Olga, thank you for sharing. I think that was really insightful into some of the needs of the Russian community and associated folks. I'm kind of curious for the broader organization, CISC, are the things that you talked about, like reaching people, accessibility, is that a consistent concern or a need that you see amongst the other populations as well? Or... I know you run the Russian program, but like, can you talk a little bit about what are some of the broader needs of the organization? Mm -hmm. um, are they similar to what you talked about? Are they different? Just, just so we get a sense of the rest of what CISC does. Sure. So for uh, so we also serve a huge Chinese speaking population. I mean, obviously from our name, um, it's easy to tell. And needs for these seniors are mostly covered because uh, CIC been serving Chinese speaking population for 52 years. Uh, so they have resources and they um, are able to help these seniors um, just, you know, because they have, they've been doing this for a longer period of time. Um, we are doing the Russian speaking program. For the case management been in place for about seven years. And the Russian speaking day center is almost four years now in February of next year. Uh, we also offer services for Hispanic uh, speaking community and Vietnamese and some other ones. I cannot really tell you uh, about those uh, populations. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of information on that. Okay, no worries. Thank you. Of course. And I see like somebody in chat mentioned Jonathan, that there is a lot of uh, 
Russian Russians in parks. Yes, I agree. There's a huge Russian speaking population in Kirkland. That's that's correct. And Christian, I I would just mention that the city of Kirkland, through the this funding process, the grant application process, we're currently funding the CISC program, East King County Family Resource Center. So that is one of the that's not their only program, but that is one of the programs that was uh, funded through our last uh, cycle. Build this. Yeah, thank you for the presentation, Olga. Um, I've always been interested in uh, learning more about this program. Um, and uh, want to ask, just want to clarify, of the 40 or so program participants, uh, I remember you said all, if not most of them, are from your case management um, side of CISC. Is that correct? Um. I would say 50% is from the case management side. So half. Yeah, but uh some some seniors it's it's a lot of like word of mouth kind of thing. And we have a little Facebook page where we post um things and we invite people and I um also post of some of the like Russian speaking groups um inviting seniors. So that works, you know, um it's not enough. Yeah, Got it. we Thank want like more than just one or two people from those Facebook groups. Got it. And then last question, like um, from a case manage management standpoint, like how how do you people get into those case management? Like, are they being referred to CISC from health, you know, healthcare providers or how, how, how do they navigate into uh, mm -hmm. that programming? Sure. So um, each client has assigned case manager and case managers are encouraged to speak about the program, especially if client experiences um, like depression or they're lonely and they're, they're looking for more connections and more friendships. And so at that time, case managers talk about the program and invite them um, to participate. Yes. Okay, thank, thank you. Of course. So, Olga, I'm going to eventually ask you, um, depending on how many more questions we have from commissioners, uh, I'm going to ask you if you have questions for us or if you have any questions about the process. Um, I, I'm also curious about like what kind of grants would help you out the most, about for what programs or what services you're thinking. Um, this isn't actually part of the exact agenda. We have a little bit more room and more time for you. And so since you're our special guest tonight, I just want to make sure we take care of any questions that you have as well. But before uh, we get to that, open the room to any other commissioners that have questions. I did not prepare any questions for you oh, today, no but I do have a question now. Uh, do you have similar um, programs that you fund right now? like? for immigrants? I'll turn this to staff right now. Yeah, Olga, we have um, we have a few that we have funded. Um, we do work with IACS. I don't know that there is any programming that is 
specific to, but tend to attract um, folks who are, are needing those services. We have worked with uh, Immigrant Women Community Center uh, quite closely, but those have been in, in really kind of one-time funding um, um, opportunities. Um, but as far as the, the grant, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I can't think of any that are specific to MCRC maps would be another organization that we fund some of that um, programming where again, I don't think that it is particularly focused on um, immigrant and refugee folks, but tend to, those are, those are the folks that tend to gravitate because of the access language access, cultural relevancy of their programming um, and, and those sorts of connections to those uh, agencies. Thank you very much. Um, I just want to, I mean, as far as the funding, you know, the more the better, of course, it's always like that, but um, anything would be a great start because right now we don't receive anything from Kirkland. And there is there is many seniors in Kirkland that um, are in need and they need um, this program in order to improve their life and to improve their wellness and well-being and reduce depression, all of the, all of those things. Um, they A lot of them live with their families, but they're very busy. The kids are busy. They never have time for them. And so this is when we come in. And so if you can, anything would help um, you know, anything would be great. And if you decide to fund our program, we would be forever grateful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah Olga, we are, we are really looking forward to when we start this um, process early next year and that portal opens. We um, staff are here to support agencies through that process um, and, and applying. And I know the folks at um, your organization have applied for other funding as well. So maybe those are folks you can also reach out to um, through that process. But we have other resources that I would be happy to share with you. And I can work directly with you as um, we have the application um, portal open. And I believe that starts in February of next year, 2024. And it'll be open for about four weeks and then closes sometime in, in mid-March. So um, it, it really is a long process too. I, I think from the start of the application and sub submission of the application all the way through till the end of that year, sometime in December, um, is that whole process on the city side to both re to review and to make recommendations, which is really heavily on the Human Services Commission, and then they pr present to our city council those recommendations, which, you know, those are lots of, of programs that are part of that, and then city council really is tasked at, at um, approving those um, or not. We haven't had that situation yet, thankfully. So, so I would love um, to join whenever you need me out there to speak um, about the program again. I can, I'm ready to do this as many times as I have to. Um, yeah, and maybe more slides next time. I don't know <laughs> if needed, maybe not. <laughs> I think you did a, a beautiful job of explaining with a few, few slides. Hey, Olga, um, 
I believe this will be the last question from us. And if other commissioners or staff have questions, feel free to raise your hand or jump in. But I would want to reiterate saying thank you for joining us tonight. And my question is, how did you get involved and or what inspired you to get involved with this organization? Well, that's a great question. So I used to work as a caregiver. And I knew about the case management program because, you know, I was closely working with the case manager of that client that I had. And I just, I always enjoy working with seniors. I used to be a medical interpreter back in the days. And so I knew that I want to become a social worker or a case manager and to work with the immigrant community, especially like Russian speaking. And so... I applied to become a case manager. I wasn't sure if they would hire me or not, and they did. And that was a huge surprise for me. And um, yeah, I my career took off from there. Um, CAC is a fantastic company. I've been with them for over seven years. And they really supported me through my graduate school. And... I feel like there is so much I can do. I have so many ideas and dreams about what can be done for the for the immigrant population, especially with the war happening and all these new seniors coming in. And they're so fragile and they're so vulnerable and they need so much help. And there's only so much we can do. And so, yeah, I have, I have big plans for CIC. Thank you. Uh, and with the rest of the commissioners, just want to say thank you. And you're welcome to stay for the rest of the meeting or if you want to I go. would love to stay, but I have to go and walk my dog. Have a great time with your dog. Take care. He needs to go ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, everybody. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. So, commissioners, um, our next guest um, is not with us tonight, and that might be postponed for a future meeting, depending on what staff uh, works with them uh, and decides on with leadership and all. Um, but the good news is that um, we are going to go to the next agenda item, which is business. So the only business item we have for this evening is discussing the 2024 meeting calendar. I'm going to pass it to staff to lead us through what questions need to be answered before opening up for discussion. Yeah, thanks, Jory. So we wanted to begin the conversation around what the meeting calendar will look like for 2024. So we are going to send a survey out after the meeting just to make sure we've captured everyone's responses, but did want an opportunity for those who have gone through the application process, um, those who have done several cycles, and then those who just did their first cycle to be able to kind of talk about what they liked, what they didn't like about last year. Um, so there's really three kind of areas we're going to touch on tonight that will help staff inform the 2024 draft calendar, which will be included in your packet for next month's meeting. 
So the first one is just around kind of the regular meeting cadence. So this year is a pretty standard year. Um, and so what we agreed to for this year was to do mostly virtual and then have one in-person meeting each quarter. And it seems like for the most part, folks have been liking that cadence to mix it up for next year. Um, we do anticipate needing to schedule several additional special meetings. So in addition to that kind of once a month meeting, having at least one more meeting per month in order to get through all of the grant applications. So I know this was in the memo in your packet, but for, excuse me, for last year, um, I think in total, the commission met 17 times. So if you do the math on that, um, it's at least twice a month. Um, what complicates it is we are not able to start distributing applications for review until about June um, because of the application timeline um, and then allowing staff time to just input all of the information. And so what seems like a short window becomes an even shorter window when you look at kind of starting the review in June and then needing the recommendations complete um, by about the beginning of September. So just for folks that were not here last year, what that looked like um, for the previous cycle is between May and August, this group agreed to meeting three times a month which is a significant amount of time and does not account for the time of reviewing in between those meetings in order to stay on top of applications. So on average for, what is that, May, June, July, August, it was six hours of meeting time per month. And then I would say probably two hours minimum in between each meeting to review the applications that we were going to discuss. So kind of the questions that I would pose to this group, especially those who have gone through it before, is are you interested in continuing to have those meetings entirely virtual? Do you want to have in-person meetings? And kind of would you rather have longer meetings and meet less frequently or would you rather meet up to three times a month, but kind of stay in that two hour block? So again, we'll send a survey out um, just to make sure that we've captured everyone's information, but there's a couple assumptions that feed into these questions. And that is, does each commissioner want to review each application? So we had 109 applications last year. I expect that number to go up. Um, I don't expect it to go down. So um, on average, we get about 10 to 12 um, new applications each cycle. So give or take, we're looking at about 120 applications, which is why there's so many meetings that need to happen. The reason why the commission decided last cycle to review each application is there were a lot of new commissioners and they wanted to review each application. So one of the alternative formats is to establish kind of smaller work groups and have them review a block of applications and then present it to the larger group. There was an overwhelming desire to not do that last time and to have each commissioner review applications. There's pros and cons in each way. And those who have been on the commission for a long time can speak to that. Um, but so those are some of the questions that we have for you and just 
helping us plan ahead and make sure we're booking reservations in rooms because we've started to increase the number of in-person meetings at city call city hall. So we're trying to be mindful and just being able to accommodate as best we can. The other added element, um, as you can probably see Annie and I, we're both sitting in council chambers right now is there's a new request. Well, it's not new, but it's new information to us since we're no longer in an emergency state. Um, we do have to offer a physical location for members of the public to attend a meeting. So we are in the process in receiving training so we can provide hybrid meetings, um, but it is significantly easier on the staff end side um, if we're doing virtual versus hybrid. So again, it just helps us with our planning for next year to make sure we can accommodate this group and kind of what the desire is when it comes to meeting. So, um, so that's kind of my second block. So regular meetings, special meetings, and then the last um, item I have is around the rescheduled meeting with uh, city council. And we have um, four dates that are available for early next year. So hoping to get that on the calendar. I recognize not everyone is here tonight, so we'll probably just send that out in the survey to see what people's preferences are um, and then come back at next month's meeting. So with that, um, kind of, again, the questions is, is your preference to do virtual, occasional in-person, kind of with those special meetings, kind of knowing that they're challenging regardless, would you rather have less meetings and meet longer or more meetings and meet within that two hour block of time. Jonathan. Hi, thanks, Jen. I think you set that up really well. Appreciate it. Um, I think it's also helpful to, um, for the newer commissioners that haven't been through this before, um, to say that each application is a uniform format. And so that you do get very comfortable when you're reading one that you don't have to re- orient yourself when you go to the next one. They're all in a standard format, which makes it very easy to do, uh, to know what to look for once you start reading them. And I know for me, who's been through it um, way too many times, <laughs> that you do get into a cycle of, uh, of a rhythm, if you will, of knowing what to look for. And, uh, and so it can, that does help um, speed it up a bit. Um, and I think the other thing that's helpful is um, that uh, they are all electronic now. We used to have big binders with all of them, and it was just insane. They were literally like six inches thick. And, and now with the technology, you can um, look at them digitally and make notes if you have an iPad or something where you can actually make notes in your as you're reading them so you can have know what questions you want to ask and, and, um, and, uh, and comments you have so when you come back together, um, and of course, you, we batch them. So we're looking at, like like Jen said, um, I think uh, that was kind of it um, on that. I thought that would, I'll have more comments later, but I just thought I would add that because I think that um, helps uh, expedite it. And we do look at it by in the continuum of the of human services. So we're looking at one type of, 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 of like we're looking at homelessness or food insecurity all at one time. So you're, you're also in kind of content specific areas that also help you have your head around that. You're not having to go from one way over to another to like employment or something very different. Um, and I don't know if anybody else, Gildas or anybody else who's been through it uh, before. Jory, you've been through it now a few times too. 
Thanks. Yeah, Christian, we'll, we'll get to your questions, but uh, Gildas, do you want to add to um, what Jonathan just said? Yeah, um, not not much to add. I think Jonathan added like provide really good commentary. Um, I think Jonathan and I are are one of the longest tenure here, so we've actually done both. Uh, what Jen said around like commissioner by 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 focus areas, and then everyone reads everything. So um, and and you know like again pros and cons uh, for either option. So really, it's really up for us to kind of define the framework. Uh, I think uh, there's a, a few of us here that's that's from the last cycle. So um, I thought some of the framework that we used last year or last time was 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 excellent in terms of you know just kind of getting uh, the ball rolling because uh, there are just a lot of applications and each application is really you know can stand on its own uh, and uh, but unfortunately there's just not enough funding right. So uh, I think some of the framework where how we how we agree as a group to, to kind of quickly triage um, and assess those applications and really focus on the ones where we have um, split, you know, comments. Uh, I think that was very useful in terms of like just getting kind of the first round of review. So that really sped, sped it up. And I think it took a little bit to kind of get that going. Uh, but I think next cycle, because, you know, we do have a few uh, commission here from the last cycle, I think we're, we can kind of move even faster than that. Uh, Christian? Gildas sort of answered my question. I had two questions. One was for the folks that have gone through both versions of either batching or looking at focus areas, could you share a little bit of what you felt the pros and cons were of each one? That, that would be helpful for the new folks, I think. And then my second question is related to the timing of the meetings. Is it, so if we do less meetings, but longer time, does that mean instead of doing three, two hour meetings, we're all gonna sit together for six hours? Is that is that what it implies? Or is there some like, what does a longer meeting mean? Is it like four hour meeting, is it a two hour? Like I'm trying to understand what that. It would probably be a three hour meeting. I, I don't know about you mm -hmm. all, but I really, can barely sit through two hours without a break. So I think three is. Yeah. And we probably okay. do some sort of built-in break. Thank you. That's helpful. Andy? Before you all answer that, I just want to share just a couple things. Um, one, and I think I've shared this with everybody. So I'm not answering this as I, I have sat on the Redmond uh, Human Services Commission for uh, just about seven years. So I've done that the same process as on the commissioner side. So that's part of the experience I bring to what I'm going to say next. The other part I'm going to say more as a staff person. And um, I think as much as folks are going to be able to like give you their own takes, their own kind of experience going through this process, as much as you can, try not to get too stuck in that because you all will experience that differently. So when you set up expectations like, well, this is how I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this, everybody's gonna find their own process, their own way through that. And you don't know it until you do it. So, um, so instead of, you know, I don't want this to be an anxiety inducing kind of conversation where it's like, oh my gosh, like, uh, how are we gonna do that? 109, that sounds like a lot. Once you start doing the process, just as the other folks have said, you will come 
you'll get your own rhythm of how you do these things. Everybody has a different focus, right? There'll be things that you'll be drawn to that you're just going to dig into. Um, I do want to say that, Jen, uh, I appreciate the two-hour offering, the, the two-hour minimum of in-between as far as like reviewing. I would say, and what I used to tell people is you probably will, I mean, at the beginning on the onset will probably be somewhere from five to 10 hours because everybody is different in how they process information and how they how quickly they will get through that. Um, and the last thing I want to say is you will likely feel super like I'm I didn't know how to do this I'm not good at this you're going to be amazing at it by the time we get to the end you're going to be like you're going to feel like you've conquered the world and uh, and we're here to support you through that whole process your other commissioner your fellow commissioners or help who have been through it will be here to help you through that process so just know that you're going to feel a lot of things you're probably going to cry you're probably going to laugh it's going to be a whirlwind, but it's so worth it. And it's such important work. And I want you to remind yourself when you're kind of stuck in that, like, I don't know that I can read one more application um, this summer. Um, somehow you'll find the energy and the, and the, and the resolve and you'll get through. Thank you, Annie. Double checking, Christian, before we get to Sri, did you have uh, any outstanding questions or anything? Okay, no worries. Sri? Yeah, I think, um, but I'm also looking for the answers on the question about batching versus, you know, everybody reviewing all, because I just generally would say that, you know, it's 120 now, if in the next cycle is 150, 200, at some point, everybody reading everything doesn't scale. So we're going to have to batch, but it would still be very useful to get perspective on the people who've done both to say, okay, what worked, what didn't work. And the other question I had is just in the question of virtual versus, uh, again, a question for folks who've done it before is virtual versus in-person because I think you know if you've done two cycles probably one was in-person the other was virtual I'm guessing uh was there a difference did it make a difference was one work better than the other I'm just curious what the people's experiences were I would uh defer to Jonathan and Gildas with that and Jonathan has his hand raised too if you want to start us off with that and then go to your question Jonathan sure well to the first question um I uh, I like to read them all. Um, you know, I want to know what uh, I want to learn about the organizations. I want to learn what their plans are. I want to look at their output. I mean, I'm just going to be involved in that level of detail. I'm just super interested in that. So um, I always am going to index on um, being doing the full full read. I like that a lot more because um, I end up doing it anyway. Because we if we get into a discussion and I haven't read it, then I'm I'm going to want I want to want to know. I'm curious enough. So. That's me. Um, and then uh, what was the other question you had? Sorry, Srin. Just asking about like, you know, the in, because I, I figure one fun, the first funding oh. cycle was in person, the other was remote, but was there a difference? Do you feel one worked better than the other or didn't really make a difference? I'm curious. I think, you know, honestly, I think we're more efficient virtually. Isn't that interesting? I just, I think that, um, and I'm not, maybe it's because it's more social when we're all together. We feel like we have more to say, but I just felt we were more efficient um, uh, you know, over vir virtually. But I mean, I always, I mean, that, that being the case, I love it when we're all together. I think it really creates more of a team and, and a feeling of connection to each other. So I'm, I'm kind of um, 
uh, mixed feelings on that because I do feel like we're more efficient, but I also like how we work better as a team and, um, and uh, it takes more time, but, uh, and yeah. And to, to Jen's point, uh, you know, you want to say, yeah, let's do three hours twice a month and eliminate one meeting and just do two meetings for three hours each. Yeah, I think that sounds really good, but I don't think I could handle it either. I think it'd be really hard to stay engaged for three hours and just like, especially if it was over uh, virtual. I mean, I think in person, it might be a little easier because we would have food and sustenance and just we would carry each other through it. But if if we're going to if we were going to do two, three hour meetings a month, then I would say we've got to do it in person because I think you know, virtually would be really, really tough. And uh, before we go to Gildas, Jonathan, did you have a question as well? Uh, if I did, I forgot it. <laughs> no worries. So, yeah, uh, Gildas, do you want to jump in and we'll go back to Jonathan if the question comes back? Yeah, um, I really echo Jonathan's uh, view. I, I think I think there were kind of a couple challenges last year. Um, I think we had a, um, you know, we always have a team going in, right? All the commissioners. And then there were a couple of churns that happened last year that I think caused some, um, caused some like kind of would say like a little bit slow down in terms of like, you know, you're bringing in new commissioners and uh, you bring in like new communication styles. So, I mean, we eventually got through it. Um, I think, you know, like, like Annie, just really want to echo what Annie said, like, we're going to get through it together as a team. So, um, and I, I, I think, you know, you know, if we, since we have been, we met together in person, you know, like, you know, there, there's a, a level of social, you know, uh, interaction between all of us. Um, what I think what's really critical in our process, in, in the in the application process is just really learning the communication styles of each of the commissioners. And I think because of the churn uh, in the previous cycle, like it just took a little more time. So that I would say that, that would be my feedback. I think in terms of number of hours, completely, I think that's a personal um, uh, preference, completely agree with Jonathan. And I would also add, um, I would say, uh, by the end of the process, I felt really tired. Like my brain was like just done. So, so um, just mentally be prepared for for, for it. And um, and uh, yeah, but it's, it's it's an exciting thing to go through. Yeah. The one thing I'll add um, to the point of kind of scalability, and at some point it hits like inefficiency. So Bellevue ran into that issue last cycle where I think they received 140 applications and their commission said, we cannot do this. This is just not feasible within the timeline that we have. And so one of the things that we are thinking about is if we do get a significant uptick in applications, different ways that staff can try to help jumpstart maybe some of the discussions and review of the applications and think creatively and how can staff do some of the work on the back end to help the commission. Um, and so we do have Bellevue as a reference and one strategy that they tried um, from this past year's cycle, and they actually are going to continue to move forward with it based on feedback from their commission. So um, we are able to look to other cities and commissions to see how they've handled it. So, because I think to everyone's point, 
it is a hard process, but we also are not going to set this body up for failure. Like we will make sure that you have the support that you need. So that is something we're thinking about. Jonathan? Yeah, I remembered what I was going to say. I think um, the one thing that I think it's important for the newer commissioners to know is that staff really, you don't want to underestimate the the job that staff does and their expertise um, because it can be overwhelming, but uh, they add a ton of knowledge and the, and the questions that we come up with, oftentimes they can answer on the spot. Sometimes they have to go back and check with the agency to get more information, but um, they do really uh, add a, a ton. The other thing I was going to say was, um, you know, this is the work of the commission, this cycle coming up. Um, what we're doing right now, getting educated, learning, listening, that's almost like your vacation. <laughs> and now you're back at work come spring because uh, that is what we've been appointed by council to do is to advise on the funding. And so you want to take it super seriously. You want to be, you know, you want to make sure you're doing the reading. You want to make sure you're coming with questions. You want to make sure that you are in the meeting, that you're at the meetings, that you're making it a priority. Um, it's super frustrating for uh, your other commissioners if you have a commissioner or more than one that doesn't come to the meeting when we're going through these. Because, and we had that last time, and there was, you know, we won't go into all that, but it was it, what it ended up happening was like four or five of us had to carry the whole load. And um, that was really hard. And I think that made it a lot harder. Um, so uh, you do want to make sure that you are making it a priority to be at the meeting, to be in attendance, to do your work ahead of time. And and honestly, you know, it sounds, you know, harsh, but if you're not up for it, it's better to, you know, let people know really early so that, you know, we can find people that will do it because it's just not fair to the rest of us if uh, folks aren't able to carry their weight. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but it's it's really the reality. And, and I, I don't think staff would say that because they're too polite and nice. Sri? <laughs> I just had like a question, Morgan, about in terms of what staff does to help vet these applications before it comes to us, just to kind of, you know, get a better sense for, I'm getting the sense that staff doesn't, you know, like I'm going to go corporate speak and say, hey, say, this is a grade A, grade B, grade C, so what's, a, you know, a great one to fund versus not, I'm expecting that staff isn't doing any evaluation, but can you kind of shed a little bit more light on what kind of preparation or stuff that staff would do to simplify or streamline this process for us? This, you know, because, you know, 110, 120 applications is a lot. So That's a good question. So we also review all of the applications and flag all of the things in advance that we have questions about or we follow up with the agency on before we even bring them to the commission. That's part of why there's kind of a, you know, we receive them in April, but this body won't see them till probably May or June. Um, I am currently, and this is still in process, trying to find a way to give more information up front to the commission, kind of around background that I think would be helpful based on going through the process um, for the last cycle. So I think that is still in flux. 
But what we normally do is, and we will go into this in quarter one of 2024. So I don't want everyone to think that we're just having this conversation and then we're just going to set you free. So we'll probably send out some applications from the previous cycle, give you access to the review portal, let you practice, see what questions you have, um, kind of walk through some of the tools that we used last year or for last cycle. So but what we do is we batch them and we do it based on goal area, like Jonathan said. And so you'll get homelessness and that's 16 applications. And we're going to talk about them at the next two meetings. So make sure you read, you know, eight of them before the first one and the second eight for the that second meeting. And then you'll use a review tool to kind of help guide what you should be looking at. And then we take those weighted scores, we put them into a spreadsheet and we color code it and say, here's the 16 applications, 10 of the 16 commissioners said they want to fund. And so we put them all into a category. Like we don't even talk about budget. We don't talk about numbers until basically the end of summer. Like what we really first do is, and Gildas mentioned this, like, where our commissioners split on an application. And those are the ones that we focus our energy on. So if majority of commissioners say, no, I don't want to fund this. And again, you'll start to see, and we can show you um, through some example applications early next year of here's an application that received, you know, eight definitely like fund versus eight don't fund. Normally the like clear don't funds tend to not serve Kirkland residents and you'd be surprised how many we tend to get. So we can give you some examples of here's one where it's the only men's homeless shelter on the east side. That's most likely going to get definitely funds across the board, whereas maybe a new housing program might get split commissioner votes and then definitely do not fund. And so we'll pull that up for you and we'll say, we want to talk about these five applications tonight. Um, and then normally commissioners will kind of talk and we try to essentially move them into a yes or no category by the end of the meeting. So that's where staff kind of helps guide the commission is taking all of your feedback and putting it in a tool that is kind of black or white, for lack of a better word, just because if not, like you'll start to see like, oh, I want to fund everything. Well, we have finite resources. We can't fund everything. So unfortunately, we we push the hard decisions, but that's our job. And just as a follow-up on the decisions, mm -hmm. are decisions simple majority, basically, in the commission? That's what a, or is it a more, or is there any guideline there or just, you know, uh, in um, making decisions? If, and other commissioners, please weigh in on this. My observation in going through the last cycle is most commissioners found alignment without having to push kind of a majority. Like there were very few times where there was just total disagreement to the point where they didn't say, I understand, you know, the majority want this. Sorry. And I would add when that comes up to that, they're I mean, there can be some subtle negotiations, right? And when when you're when you're torn on one and you're like, okay, I'm gonna concede this one. I hear what you're saying. I may not be completely on board, but there may be a program that comes up where I'm all in and other folks aren't so much. So there is some give and take in those conversations, um, which I think really is helpful to get the process moving. But yeah, I can't remember any 
any particular program that was like, we just can't figure it out and we just don't agree. I think eventually everybody um, saw their way through it um, somehow. Yeah, I just had an idea on how we could um, <clears throat> streamline a little bit. Um, I remember from the last cycle, there were a lot of new applications that we pretty quickly decided not to fund. They were either like not even close to Kirkland. They weren't serving any Kirkland people, but it's so easy for them to check a box and, and send that common application to Kirkland. Um, I think what could be helpful instead of all the commissioners reading all the new ones is that maybe um, this is just an idea that, you know, like brainstorming is that maybe those new ones that um, the staff could look at. And if they pretty quickly determine that we really shouldn't even have everybody read this one, that they make a recommendation and then we handle all those in like, you know, one meeting or something where all the new ones, no matter what category they're in, um, if we can knock off, you know, like 30 of them or whatever it might be. Um, without even having to have everybody read all 16 pages of each of the 30, something like that. That might help. Just an idea. Any thoughts on that idea? Are you asking staff or the commission? Uh, uh, for anyone. Okay. Well, I, I like anything that simplifies things for us. I mean, if you have to give you less, I'm all right. So. And I would also add that oftentimes there are other funding opportunities. So, and we'll talk about this more once we start in the process. Um, when a program is, when you all elect to not um, move forward with funding a program, sometimes there are other doors that open for, for those agencies, um, whether with the city of Kirkland or somewhere else. So we're always looking for other opportunities. So all is not lost. And that's another um, point too I want to make when we go and we'll talk more about this closer to the process is like that it is really hard and and to Jen's point there are hard decisions to be made that um, you know you may not feel good about but that is part of this process because um, we don't have infinite funding to to fund everything fully so um, you are still a great person and you're still awesome and doing this work and sometimes we have to say collectively, you all will have to say no, um, not this time, but maybe next year or maybe another funding source. That's what I thought I was gonna add to my um, idea is that while staff would still have to read them all and we wouldn't, so it sounds like it favors us in a way, it actually does shorten the amount of time staff has to spend in meetings on those. So there is some efficiency gain for both, for both sides. Not perfect, but it's a little more efficient. Yeah, I think staff can explore it. I mean, I, I'm open to it. If we can reduce the applications that you have to read into the ones that are really serving Kirkland residents, or we think they've completely missed the mark, um, or there's potential challenges by them applying for public funding, which we've run into as well, um, we can just compile it into a short memo and put why we're recommending the commission does not review them um, to save y'all time. I think it's a good idea. Sri? Yeah, just a follow on is so there's two decisions I see. One is who to fund, and the next one is how much. 
So I just wanted to kind of get a sense from the people who've gone through this before. Was it pretty challenging to kind of figure out the how much once you agreed that you want to fund it because you don't have enough money to fund what they are asking? I'll, I'll jump in first, and Jonathan and Gildas, uh, please do as well if you'd like. I, I think that it is always going to be difficult, but we had a process that um, we came in with where Jonathan and Gildas and any of the more experienced members, they, they came in using a tiered system where we have like asking for priorities a like we absolutely need to have these b and c we worked with staff to figure out what would be the amount per tier and what we need to prioritize like housing uh, and how much money we would need to fund those programs and uh one of the factors would be is hey if we don't fund all of the requests but say like 85 percent of this request does that mean this program can't operate or does not work at an 85% funding? So now if we were to allocate the funding to such a high priority program, it has to be 100%. And if it's in that category A, top priority. Um, Jen, you want to fill in? Yeah, there's a couple, um, what's the word I want? It's 7.45 p.m. There are a couple non-negotiables that this body tends to operate on. So if a agency and program, let's say they received $100,000 this past cycle, barring some um, reports from a monitoring visit or severe changes in their programs, we would never reduce funding from previous cycles. So we always use that as a base. Um, so that's kind of, lens number one that this group uses. The other one that they used last year in part of structuring kind of their one-time funding considerations for council was for everyone that received funding from the previous cycle that was applying for funding, they applied um, a COLA adjustment of 7% based on inflation with that award. Um, so that was another element that this group will need to decide if they're interested in doing something like that again. And then kind of more broadly, one of the, you know, kind of approaches that Jory touched on is we tend to not do peanut butter approach. So like you get $5,000, you get $5,000, but then 50 programs can't actually operate their programs because they're not getting sufficient operating funding. So um, we tend to fund less programs, but at a higher dollar amount. Um, and so in looking at this year's award amounts, I think you'll see that there's very few programs that are funded at like a, honestly, like 40, 50% level. And if it is a smaller amount, that is an area where staff can reach out to the agency and say, is it worth it to receive $5,000 in city funding despite asking for 30? Like, is that meaningful? Is that helpful? And we can come back to this body and share that if that's where some of the recommendations fall. Because there are some agencies that it's not worth the reporting if it's under a certain dollar amount. And so that is something that staff can help with as well. Sri, did you have any other questions for Jeff or uh, for staff? 
Um, okay. No, I, not at this time. I think I have. I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, but I'm also gonna say let's just wait for the cycle to start, maybe, and you know, you know, and get a better yeah. sense of how this works. So. Yeah, it's really like yeah. You 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 won't know until we start discussing. And I yeah. would say um, a lot of the practice that that we've done in the last cycle are learnings from prior circ uh, prior cycles. So that is that is that that really just means like um, we're always take feedback from you know prior knowledge and the new commissioners to establish philosophies and frameworks with the staff to come up with 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 a process or uh, a funding level. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, yeah. So that's all, that's all I'm going to say. Like, you know, um, your opinions in, in, in just crafting that framework, uh, uh, will be important going forward. Hey, Commissioner Jenkins, I saw your, your hand up for a bit. Did you want to ask a question or add a comment? Um, my comment was actually just going to be about the meetings. And I was going to say that, um, I like virtual meetings. Um, in-person meetings are great, but I do feel I agree with Jonathan that it's um, it's easier to kind of stay on task when we're virtual. Um, and I don't know. I know that we're doing the survey, so I, I feel like I don't really need to say too much. I can just do the survey, but I'm on board with everything everyone is saying, by the way. So I just want to say that I officially put it out there. And I want to say thank you so much for the knowledge you guys are putting on what to expect and being aware of everyone's differences um yeah uh jonathan yeah my only uh thing i want to hear from chloe chloe you've been so quiet i'd love to hear if you have questions or thoughts what are you thinking not to put you on the spot if you don't have any that's cool but i, I just would love to hear your perspective um i mean i think the process makes a lot of sense to me but um, I think I was kind of also like messaging like Jory earlier and I was kind of wondering, I know that like people or I guess all the commissioners look over the applications um, like individually and give like scores, but I was wondering whether like there's um, like people, whether like there was any um, process for maybe like leaving comments for like leaving comments on like applications for like other commissioners to see like even like offline um like so people would kind of already have like a general idea of like what they would want to talk about for the application like um like consisting of like everybody's um thoughts like before um the meeting so it might get streamlined that was just kind of what i was wondering about a great question so that is something staff helps with so if we use the same review tool that we used for the last cycle you're able to leave comments and then I get to pull this really cool report that pulls each commissioner's weighted score and then all the comments and we normally condense them and put them with each application and we depending on how many meetings we have and how quickly staff can work, we try to send that out um, normally at least a couple days in advance. So you have that and can just look at it, start to think about it, go back, look at your comments um, before we come um, back together as a group for discussion. Awesome. Thank you for the clarification. Mm -hmm. Sri? Yeah. 
uh, last hopefully piece of input on this. Um, so my just sharing my experience kind of, you know, over uh, work stuff is that I found that things like, you know, for example, where you're building a framework kind of stuff, sometimes they work better in person because you're brainstorming activity and having the discussion versus you're making decisions, you know, which works just as fine. And I, I agree generally making it remote is makes a lot of sense, but I do wonder whether maybe right at the start, uh, when we're kind of brainstorming and building the framework and the tiering system and stuff, whether it might be, you know, more productive to have an in-person meeting. So just a thought that I'm putting in there, because what I found often is that it's harder to do brainstorming when you're virtual. It's much harder to do the brainstorming when you're virtual is what I found. So, so that would just be a thought that I put in for us to discuss as we kind of, you know, start looking at this process. Yeah, I um. I was gonna. I'm holding back on my suggestion because I want everyone to make their their informed decision and give their feedback. Uh, I'll throw out some ideas of what to do, and what I would like is for the new commissioners to have the opportunity to have practice with, uh, in a former commissioner, a group of three. We had the opportunity to actually work on applications that for temporary funding. And we did that, I want to say, in January or February before the applications came in the summer. So uh, without overcomplicating it, um, early next year, so sometime between, uh, and it's up, I'll give it to staff, but sometime between perhaps like between January through April, I'd want the new commissioners to have practice on how to do an application so they feel more comfortable. And then between... April and um, April and May, we would have at least one or so uh, in-person or hybrid meeting where we do have the brainstorming sessions. And then when we have the meat of the process or, or going into things, just keep it virtual, uh, maybe one in person, but I, I'd honestly say just keep it virtual. People are traveling. And at the very end, we have the celebration. Hey, we're done. Let's go, go to a park or whatever, have food. But I, I would also clarify for the virtual meetings, I am throwing that we have three meetings per month, the two hours each, or go for two hours. And that would be the guideline with flex, there'd be flexibility there. But that's a plan that I'm throwing out for the commission to consider and staff. I think that's a great place to start. Um, it's helpful, thank you. What we'll do is just send out a survey since not all of the commission is here. And then based on this discussion, um, as well as the survey results, we'll put together a draft calendar for 2024. It's subject to change, of course, um, kind of based on volume of applications, like we all know how this goes. We did some adjusting last year as well, but I think it gives us a good place to start um, and starting to think about what the structure of the quarter one meetings will look like. So January up until April, it will just be one meeting a month. So we will be very mindful about that, but we want to be intentional and in maximizing that time to make sure this body is ready for the application. So, and as we learn information, we will share it with you. So the other 
component I'll put on your radar that would be outside of the regular meetings that tends to happen is we do a joint equity training with all of the commissions on the east side ahead of the grant review process. So um, we're in the process of starting to look at dates and of who we might contract to do that training. Um, But that's the other kind of outside of the regular cadence of meetings. Um, But that would not happen until probably April or May. We threw a lot out there for commissioners. Uh, Is there any questions that the commission has for staff? Do we have any commissioner reports? Sure. I just uh, encourage everybody to vote. <laughs> Thank it's you, time. Any other commissioner reports or any questions of what to give in a report? Okay, staff reports. I have one, um, and Amanda, feel free to chime in. So the city has been doing a lot of intentional work around what our response to homelessness is. And so there's been several actions that have happened, and my hope is we will come back to this body and do the presentation that we did not do several months ago, but it's now much more fully formed and developed because um, all this work has been coming out of the city manager's office that the city actually hosted a homelessness symposium earlier this month um, where we introduced members of the HEART team, which stands for Homeless Assistance and Response Team. So it's a team of nine individuals that have unique skill sets and could support someone who is unhoused based on the circumstances. So Melly Paolo, the homeless outreach coordinators on that team, Amanda Judd is on that team kind of on the funding um, other entities that support folks who may be unhoused. And then we also have folks in police, our mobile integrated health team, as well as our mental health professionals. So we do plan on coming back to this group um, with an abridged version of that presentation, but it was a really cool day where we're able to bring about 70 staff together that support teams that are out in the community or are at city hall and their staff encounters or other community centers and often will get approached by community members um, who may have a concern about someone who may be unhoused and needing help or resources and so we've started to lay the groundwork and start to develop materials to support staff so they can support community members um and just answering questions about what the city is doing. And so we've also revamped um, the landing page um, for those who are interested in kind of what Kirkland stance is and it introduces the heart team. So I will link that in the chat. Um, again, we'll come back and do an abridged version of the presentation, um, but it's really cool work. It's really exciting and I think we have a far way to go, but it's been really cool to see this team um, be stood up fairly quickly and be able to start to kind of figure out how to be coordinated and intentional and how we're responding to those who may be in need in our community. So like I said, it was just for staff. It was not open to the public, um, but it was a really cool event earlier this month that our team was able to attend 
And then Amanda and Melly both did presentations on kind of their roles in it. Um, and they were also able to practice some response scenarios as well and who they would call based on certain situations. So it's a very cool event. Awesome. Do we have any other staff reports? Do I have a motion to adjourn? I'll adjourn. Aye. I'll motion. <laughs> I'll second. I'll second. <laughs> so Gilda's motion to adjourn and uh, heard a second. I'll second. Uh, thank you, everyone. We are adjourning at 7 57 p.m. Have a good night. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks.